Hi, you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm your host, Lou Rosenfeld. I'm so happy today to have my guest, Ariel Kennett, uh, from the uh, Beck Center of Social Impact and Innovation at Georgetown University, where she's a senior fellow. She's also someone I've gotten to know quite a bit in the last uh, six months or so, because we've been working together uh, on developing a new community and conference that Rosenfeld Media is going to host December 8th through 10th on civic design. And Ariel's got an amazing background when it comes to civic design uh, as a designer who's had a hugely diverse set of experiences in the field, but especially in the public sector. So Ariel, first of all, welcome. Hi, Lou. It's great to be here. It's great to have you and uh, to talk about defining civic design. But I think it would be really instructive to think first about the path that you took, because I think a lot of people in the design field are taking interesting paths. And yours has led you to a number of places, not just Code for America, but also you've worked at the intersection of, of the private sector, and the public sector, as, as uh, when you were at Sidewalk, uh, obviously an intersection of the public sector and uh, at a local level at the New York City Mayor's office, and um, now at Georgetown, where you're, uh, where, which is really an intersection of the public sector and academia. So it's like this really interesting mix. How did you get here? And... Uh, how would, do you see civic design sort of coming together? I feel like your your path is sort of a great illustration of all the different bits and parts that are kind of pulling together at this moment in time to to, to really define civic design. Uh, well, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a designer. I'm not sure I knew that civic design was going to be a space, but um, I do come from parents, one who is a lifelong public servant and the other one who's a professional designer and landscape architect, um, so was encouraged every step of the way. So the DNA had it in for you. All right, we got that. I think so. I think so. Uh, and I came here to New York um, by going to Parsons School of Design, um, and I studied in the integrated design program there, uh, which really helped me blend uh, not only multiple disciplines of design, um, so originally graphic design, and then got more into multimedia and animation, which then led me to UX and interaction design um, and also bringing those things into physical public spaces. Um, my uh, thesis at Parsons was at with the Lower East Side Tenement Museum. Uh, Love that place. Yeah, it's great. Um, they are open again now. They have a new um, exhibit storytelling on an African-American family on the Lower East Side. So I'm super excited to give them a visit soon. Um, but uh, really looking at how can you use technology to tell inclusive and accessible stories and bring more people together um, in spaces, which led me into my first uh, jobs as a professional um, designer. Um, I worked at local projects as an intern and then went on to ESI design, um, which designs um, experiences for, you know, kind of corporate experiences and lots of cultural and museum work um, as well. And so got my hands uh, dirty on all sorts of interesting projects. Um, really working um, cross-sector, um, but being able to experiment and play with technology at a lot of different scales and move beyond just things that were solely online, um, including designing a new city um, in China. Wait a minute. Uh, Wait a minute. You designed a new city? We designed a new city. Um, and I want really that job. How did, uh, Pretty cool that, job. 
Um, you know, it got that work um, really got me interested on how do you keep designing things for cities and how is that your job um, as a creative professional? Um, and I looked around at, at going back to school um, to be an urban planner and wasn't finding a lot that was about the interaction of people um, in cities. Uh, but I did start looking for other opportunities that would take me on that path. Um, and I saw Jennifer Palka's TED Talk um, where she was talking about her young organization uh, called Code for America, which was recruiting um, private sector technologists and designers and data scientists um, to come do a year of service. Uh, with government. Um, and so I became a fellow um, with Code for America. I worked in Kansas City um, for a year um, and really saw the insides of how government works um, and you know what's working well, um, but also where new skills and capacity and ways of working and I think even just permission for working in those new ways um, has potential to really transform um, critical services that, you know, residents rely on every single day. So I'm, I'm really interested in this sort of reframing of your, of where you were directing your energy from, like the, the idea of working on cities, which, you know, as much as cities are, uh, are systems and so much that, do, that doesn't meet the eye, um, you know, they're very tangible they are places uh and then you went to code for america and had this aha moment to see that you were actually really dying to work on government which is very intangible it's obviously full of invisible systems but what's the connection there was there something you were looking for in working on cities that you didn't see at the time that sort of came at you really strongly once you worked uh, in, in a government setting. Yeah. I mean, even in some of the early design work I had done on cities, we were thinking a lot about what is the experience for people. And so what do those social fabrics look like? How do people actually have a good quality of life? And, you know, I think many of us, which, you know, hold some privilege and, you know, have nice homes and, you know, are like well-fed every single day, um, have a very different experience in cities than people who really rely on some of our critical supports to, you know, help make sure they are healthy and safe um, and fed and able to take care of their families every day. Um, and that's where government does play a really vital role. And so it may seem somewhat invisible and behind the scenes, um, but for all of our cities, um, without a government um, who's looking out for the many different things, everything from the streets we walk and bike and drive our cars on, um, to picking up the garbage every single day, um, to making sure that, um, you know, uh, people have, you know, a, just enough money in their pocket to make the ends meet, um, or maybe also go to a public hospital um, and be able to get health care that they need. Um, are really, you know, the vital services that underpin a great city. Um, and without those services, that city isn't going to be the great place we all want to be in uh, together. And this is something I find so frustrating as, as someone who is, uh, I'll, I'll wear my, I don't know if it's even politics on my sleeve. I, I just feel convinced that the public sector is, is so hugely important and so uh, ignored, if not denigrated well uh, yeah i mean it is denigrated but like we we you know it's like civic design is really focused on this whole huge space that people don't even acknowledge has value until it's absolutely broken 
And yeah. that's that's such a challenge to, you know, I mean, like you, you could argue that, well, you know, a lot of us work on in design settings where nothing is tangible, like, you know, well, okay, let's say it's banking services. You know, there's still some ability to, to, to deliver, you know, value to people who, well, you, the people you're delivering value already understand the value. I don't, I may not like my bank, but I need it. But there's not like that same feeling about, well, I don't like my government. I don't really need it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people don't have a lot of choice. Um, and so whatever services are provided by government are going to be what you are going to get. Um, and a lot of people who may need to access government services are, have not been historically lifted up to necessarily have a voice to say we deserve something better. Um, I think it's very interesting in the past year, I mean, COVID has exposed all sorts of weak points um, in government service delivery. Um, but it's very interesting to see um, unemployment insurance um, has hit the headlines. There's multiple articles that have gone semi-viral online um, in the past year um, about all sorts of things with unemployment insurance. Um, and that used to be, you know, something that, you know, people accessed. It was an important service. It wasn't considered part of the safety net. Um, and now, now it is, especially as there's government money being dispersed with it. But a lot of the same underlying issues with unemployment insurance have, you know, been the same on SNAP, also known as food stamps um, or cash assistance, um, some of the rental assistance programs, um, Medicaid, um, many of the same service delivery issues, technology, design, usability, accessibility issues, they were all there and present, um, but they weren't getting headlines mm -hmm. necessarily. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll keep that in mind next time I'm, I'm walking down the street with someone who's complaining about uh, the government while walking on a sidewalk provided by the government and not being, you know, uh, robbed by <laughs> someone because they're protected. Oh, all right. Uh, I can go pretty far down that path and it would just become tiresome anyway. So let's get back to your story. Where do we leave it off? Let's see. Uh, after Code for America, I decided to come back to New York City, which has long been my home, um, and start bringing the skills of design and modern software development um, to the inside and really thinking about how those skills could be applied on critical services um, for New Yorkers. Uh, I ended up joining uh, what is now the Mayor's Office for Economic Opportunity, um, which brings together a variety of skill sets and initiatives and solutions, some that we inherited from the Bloomberg administration. Um, but also bringing in um, new talent and teams. So I started by hiring designers, um, but quickly also grew to hiring product managers um, and software engineers, um, content designers and specialists um, to build out a full-fledged team um, who could really deliver um, both on the service design capacity, um, but also on our digital product portfolio. So how, how far up the chain was the 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 uh, acceptance that there was a need to bring in people with design and related skills. Was that something that was pervasive through uh, the senior leadership at that point? Or was there just some enlightened person who managed to move the money around to, to make this happen? <laughs> Um, I mean, one of the great things with a new administration starting is that it's an opportunity for new leaders um, and new ideas to make their way in. Um, so I will shout out to Matt Klein, um, who was my boss at the mayor's office, um, who had previously run the Blue Ridge Foundation, um, which was making great investments in social impact companies um, and technology companies um, in the prior years. And he had really seen 
um, how deeply um, it was needed to have a more design-centered approach um, and bring in the new technology delivery approaches as well. Um, he's an incredible champion um, for that work. He would not call himself a practitioner um, directly, um, but know, knows more than he would maybe give himself credit for um, to be able to say, we need um, these skills on the inside. And as I build my team, that's who I want to keep surrounding myself with um, in complement to the variety of other skills that we had on the team, everything from deep research and impact and evaluation work and kind of poverty um, uh, overall strategy and alleviation, um, deep knowledge on that. We also had a data integration team um, that had come along um, with us. And so figuring out how do you flex these skills together mm -hmm. um, to be able to create new solutions um, and really tackle really hard problems. Um, I would say that, you know, Matt is what I call someone who at a leadership level who was giving air cover for new ways of working. Um, and so as we were starting to build our team and could define, say we could do this on a project, um, you know, he and others were really giving space um, to get everyone else to be like, give them just a little bit of time. But I think a lot of my role ended up being the translation between some of those upper levels and designers who were deep in project work and sometimes asking those designers to share a little more a little earlier than they were ever comfortable with mm -hmm. um, with our executive leadership so that they would become more comfortable with those ways of working um, and so those early days were really tenuous um, it was a lot about quick wins um, and figuring out how um, to deliver things that people need quickly um, that actually solve their problems um, and not necessarily about the grand vision of what the team could be and all the things that we could be doing that came a little bit later um, and we were also able to um, raise outside funding um, which helped give us mm. a boost to really not only plan strategically um, but be able to hire more people and create some of the resources and materials that i got us to the next level of acceptance well just a, a, a question for clarification so i know that your team was specifically addressing homelessness and that was just one of our projects oh okay Oh, I didn't realize that. So yeah, what I was interested to know is how your team meshed with people who may already have been charged with addressing some of those problems. Did, did you combine, was it a, 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 a client model that where you were doing service delivery to internal clients? Was there some other model that worked or maybe didn't work at first and you had to change gears in order to make it work? Yeah, I would say it was it was really a bit of experimentation. So we had some digital products, um, including Access NYC, uh, which is the city's public benefits portal, which was in our product portfolio. Um, and so we had a lot of control and say over how that got delivered, how we would run a design process around it, um, and ultimately ended up also owning and operating um, that product in the end. And then we were also doing a lot of experimentation about how do we offer design services as part of the mayor's office. Um, so our work on street homelessness was actually the really big first project, one of the hardest issues to tackle, um, where we got called to the table. So working in the mayor's office, um, which has, has oversight over all of the agencies, um, tends to be the stick, tends to mm -hmm. be like, if the mayor's office is showing up in your agency, something is wrong. Um, and it's not always <laughs> um, the friendliest of relationships. Pay attention. <laughs> yeah. 
but I always, I liken it as more of a mix of a carrot and a stick. So it's like, you have the stick of you're the mayor's office and you're here, like you have to pay attention to us, but that doesn't have to be a bad experience and relationship. There can be a lot of carrot in it. So we really tried to use our design led ways of working to build those relationships um, and really deeply listen and understand what was going on um, both inside the agencies um, in New York City, health and human services are largely delivered through contracted nonprofit agencies um, or providers um, is what they're often called. Um, and so working with those providers, being both with their executive leadership, um, with program um, managers and directors within, and also on this case of street homelessness, going out with the actual outreach workers in the middle of the night, in the freezing cold, um, and understanding their experience, um, as well as understanding the experience of the homeless New Yorkers who they're serving, both ones who are currently on the street, but also ones who have been um, brought into different levels of housing, um, as well as talking to the variety of agencies. Um, it's about another dozen at least agencies who also um, have some part of the service delivery journey um, for those New Yorkers. Well, you know, I, I remember you, you presented on this at Enterprise UX 2017. It was one of the most memorable uh, presentations from that conference. And uh, I, I think you covered going out into the freezing cold in that talk, and it really stuck with me. And I wonder if when you are, in effect, trying to turn those people who are either internal stakeholders or at the contracting agencies uh, that are delivering the services uh, where the rubber meets the road, if that's really the sort of thing that that really shows them that not only the value that you may bring, but the seriousness with which you bring it. Is that the sort of thing that really turns people's minds around about the value of design? I think it was some, the commitment um, of being out there um, and really listening, but also creating the documentation on the other side. Um, so using tools of design like journey mapping to really be able to say, here are all of the things that happen to actually deliver this service to someone. Here's all the people involved and also documenting, here's maybe what a, a policy or a piece of legislation says, and here's what's actually happening out in the real world as this gets delivered with all of the many factors that are happening um, in a moment around a person. Um, and trying to not only do that and document it and get that accurate and also iterative. So bringing people in to do workshops where we say, listen, we took a first pass at this. We're not saying it's hundred percent right. We're saying we tried to do the best we could based on what we heard and saw. Let's now iterate on it together. But then I think the other piece, which I don't think people in government are asked nearly enough is what would you do differently if you could do it differently? Mm -hmm. And let's, of course, there's going to be constraints, but like, let's talk about the things that we would tackle and what we would tackle first if there were fewer constraints um, around it. And let's think really blue sky about policy and funding and service delivery and, you know, even options for, you know, how you can, um, uh, the type, let's say the types of housing that you can offer somebody. Um, and let's think broad about that. Um, and those moments, I think, were really what led to the deeper trust, which allowed us to go even further and really mm -hmm. be seen as a partner. Um, and so that work in particular also brought us back to so, 
um, being in, in big rooms um, with all of the really, you know, important people inside government, inside City Hall, giving these gigantic presentations mm-hmm. and being able to combine um, evidence um, that we had witnessed in the research. We were also doing a lot of data work behind the scenes with our data integration team. Mm-hmm. And so having a lot more performance management around knowing, well, we're talking about this issue and it actually, we can tell you a story about a particular person, but we can also tell you this thing impacts this many other people. Um, and here's some solutions around it. And it's going to take multiple agencies to solve that. So so let me try to summarize some some big themes out of that experience that you had and you tell me if I'm getting it right from uh, leaving out anything important. Uh, I'm hearing three main things. I'm hearing one is, well, obviously there's like the novelty of having new people look at a challenge with people who are already inside it and having that, those, those insiders have the opportunity to explore, to step back with people that may not only have uh, a different design or a different skill set, but also just the, the, the novelty of just not having looked at the problem closely, too closely before. So there's like that, that essentially that, that beautiful opportunity that working with like a consultant would give you, working with anyone new, with a new person, uh, not with much experience, with a necess- necessarily with a challenge, but with a, a different perspective and some novelty. So that's one thing I hear. Number two, um, I think a lot of us in design take for granted our ability to model complexity. And you were able, and I know you did this in that you created a, an actual publication. You, you yes. described it as documentation. I remember thinking that it is a book. It was beautifully designed that really showed in ways that are very, not easy for designers, but we do take for granted. But other people simply are blown away when they see it presented when they see complexity rendered visually through story, through data. And that is just like, like I remember talking with Peter Merholtz on one of my podcasts and he was talking about like mapping out organizational structures and HR people in the room were just blown away and they were like, can we do that too? Well, it sounds like there's a bit of that going on in, in what you're recounting. And then the final thing I'm, I'm guessing is another thing that we take for granted is the function of time. The fact that you didn't do this in the course of a two-month engagement. This sounds like this was a multi-year, stay with it. Well, maybe not years, but you know, long enough that you could build up some trust uh, with the people you were working with and take enough time at least to get the, the, not only a, a, a good sense of the problem, but to start letting the ideas that might lead to solutions germinate and iterate and, and take shape. You know, I, I think those are largely right. I will say that, you know, government gets a stereotype that it's slow and sometimes it is really slow. Um, but when somebody, especially someone who's in elected office, says they want something, government suddenly moves really fast. That's and so that was actually a really interesting dance um, that we were doing um, on that project was wanting to deliver and show delivery and show progress um, 
up at the at the highest levels while also deeply listening and really understanding what was happening and then needing to move pretty quickly um, over it was really a couple months actually into uh, solutions um, that work has then continued so our team worked on that um, pretty intensely over a hundred percent time um, for about six months um, and then a lot of the work actually carried off um, further into other teams so one of the things we went in um, thinking was case management is a huge issue um, across this population and across mm -hmm. the different organizations who deliver um, the services. They were using all different methods. We didn't want to go in and say they need a new case management solution. Um, we thought, oh, we can do it behind the scenes with data. And one of the cool pieces to see this play out now several years later is that early journey map became a pretty direct translation into what are the pieces that need performance management around them and really being able to define where is everyone in the state of this service delivery. And so working on the actual data definitions and then figuring out how do you actually count that. Um, and we were starting to mesh all of that together, many, mm -hmm. many prototypes through it. Um, and the providers actually came back and said, we want a new case management system. We've, we see the value in the way we've all been working together. We need the technology that actually helps us manage the cases to this, but also can really help us report and understand and deliver better services at the end of the day. Um, and so that had carried on and Department of Homeless Services um, has actually created um, a group within their IT unit um, that works on the continued delivery and development um, of that case management system. And that team had come back to us um, on the design side and said, without the relationships that you had built early on, there's no way that right. IT system would have been able to be delivered. And even if it had come down from a top, you know, top down, we need this it wouldn't have had the same impact and outcome. Well, and, so you know, <laughs> getting back to, to you know, I, I misread your, I assume what you pulled off took, you know, maybe a couple of years of direct involvement. And so, all right, I, I, I failed that part of the test, but, um, I, you know, you did, it does sound like you had the longer term in mind, not necessarily being directly involved, but like creating it in a way that, the, the, the learning would be sustained and it would carry forward over time. And it sounds like you were very successful at doing that. But we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you want more, not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive, but we have something that's very current, very alive and very engaging for groups. And that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences on a variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from enterprise experience to advancing research to design and research operations. I want to encourage you to join one of our communities. Again, it is free by going to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. Not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in, ask questions and so forth. We'll give you access to the recordings. And uh, for some of those communities, we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators. You'll also get a newsletter. You'll get access to an 
advice columnist. Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists for each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when programs, uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale, and by the way, most of our conferences sell out, and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when the scholarship applications open up. So go to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. You're going to find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm with Ariel Kennan, and we are talking about her experiences at the New York City Mayor's Office and uh, how she brought um, some amazing uh, design skills, not just her own, but a, a team she helped stand up. And uh, let's keep on with that story. Uh, what happened? Uh, at, you got to the point where you had helped bring together um, a, a lot of services through uh, that are, are were around homelessness. How to how to help people in New York government, if I understand it, design better services with the guidance that you offered them. What happened next, and how did that go? I really look back at that project as a pivotal moment um, in bringing some literacy around design and those ways of working and what's possible. Um, somewhat simultaneous, but really gained traction immediately after that project um, was investing further um, in our team. Um, so really thinking about the strategy of how do you deliver design services um, from the inside and mm -hmm. how are we really a great partner um, to our fellow government agencies working to tackle these really challenging issues. Um, and then also how do we uh, teach more of them how to be designers and think like designers. Um, and so we were able to raise some private philanthropic money um, through uh, city community development and the mayor's fund for New York City um, and bring in not only capacity to build out what is now the service civic service design tools and tactics. Um, so has a, a guidebook on how do you actually think about design um, through government service delivery. Um, but also hire some more designers. Um, mm -hmm. And so being able to have more hands to do the work, um, as well as an invest in our apprenticeship program, uh, which helped us bring in um, early career designers um, to work alongside our team. And through that, you know, it was also building a lot of awareness. I also think about it as permission granting as well. And so now that the mayor's office is saying, we have a design team, it's called the Service Design Studio, and we have the tools and tactics guide. And then we really thought about how do we have that capacity building as part of the work that we were doing. So we were doing open office hours, which were a huge hit to just come in and talk to us and our designers about the work that you're doing and the ways that you want to improve and change it and have better outcomes. Um, that is at the heart of public service um, and people want to do that and they're not always have all the tools um, or granted permission to be able to, to work towards that. Um, as well as starting to think about how do we take our very small team of designers um, and make that impact much bigger. Um, and so creating things like ways to bring people in for short-term workshops where maybe over 
three hours, we would talk about a problem statement and we would do a really rough journey map with you that would launch you to be able to keep going um, and do the next steps of that. Um, that team has gone on um, to work with quite a few um, different city agencies on a diversity of services. Um, and they continue to this day, they're doing a really um, cool project right now um, with residents at um, NYCHA uh, communities mm -hmm. um, on helping them be designers. Um, it's called the Design by Community Fellowship. Um, and so really empowering um, those community voices to design for themselves um, as well. And so I'm really excited about the evolution um, of that work um, and the, the, the guidance and um, kind of space that it has been allowed to grow in um, in, the, in the past years. Well, that, that's... I mean, like, you know, I'm excited by what you've been doing from a, a designer's perspective. I'm also really excited by it from a, another fellow New York City resident's perspective. I mean, you are literally uh, or you have you have been making New York City a better place. And uh, I thank you for that. I mean, that's really an exciting thing. And it, it, it's got to be really gratifying. I know that there are a lot of people in the design world that are interested in the public sector. And I mean, your career shows that there's a lot of different paths and a lot of different settings that that work can take place in to, so that they too can have an impact on their cities, their communities, their countries, on, on, uh, or, or through the public sector with populations that don't necessarily benefit like others and, and need to. Let's step back and, and just sort of frame maybe how what you're talking about kind of is a, a, a yes and definition of, of civic design. We don't really know what it is yet. We don't necessarily have a definition, but you've just covered so much and you're just one person. So maybe we shouldn't define it, Ariel. I mean, maybe we should just talk about what would be maybe a, a good mindset for people interested in moving into the public sector, uh, what we should be keeping in mind. Yeah. I mean, I think there's lots of pathways in um, early career opportunities like Coding It Forward and the VISTA program um, at the national level um, are allowing people, young people um, to get their feet wet in this space. Um, there's organizations who are working on the nonprofit and implementation side. There's quite a few um, private companies who work and deliver alongside government. Um, and there's new roles opening every single day um, that we're seeing both at local and national levels of government here in the U.S., um, but also around the world. Um, that, that, that has changed dramatically, um, definitely in the last decade, but especially in about the last five years, mm -hmm. um, that there are there's a welcome open door <laughs> um, for people with design and technology skills um, to come on side and alongside um, uh, these organizations. Um, you know, I think uh, of mindset, um, of thinking about, you know, the vast majority of people who work on these really hard issues have the right intentions. They are trying the hardest with the skills and tools that they have. Um, one thing I loved about being a public servant is there really was this like, we're all in it together, mm -hmm. trying to make our city a better place for all of our neighbors. Um, and that, that 
you know, resolute spirit can be hard <laughs> in a bureaucracy um, where things are complicated and maybe don't have enough funding and the time scales are shifting and there's a lot of ambiguity about what's going to happen or could happen. Um, but remembering about, you know, who is this for at the end of the day, um, you know, has kept me going and keeps me coming back um, to wanting to do this work. Well, that, that's great. I think that's that that is and that is something we don't always have, certainly in the private sector, is that who is this for? Because this, you know, um, this is for us. Yeah. And that's a real difference. Well, thank you. Um, Ariel, it's, it's just an honor to, to, to talk with you about this work. And, and I think it's going to be very inspirational for other people to hear about. And I'll put in a plug then that um, we're all trying to figure out civic design together. It's, a, it's an area that is starting to really boom and, uh, you know, it couldn't happen any sooner. Uh, and uh, Ariel and I and Charlotte Lee and Sarah Brooks and Martha Doris and the Rosenfeld Media team, we're all working on uh, a community that will launch soon with regular activities as well as a conference taking place virtually December 8th through 10th at Civic Design 2021. We hope you'll be part of it. Um, Ariel, before we break, I always like to ask if there's uh, anything uh, to shine a little sunlight on for our listeners. What do you have in mind? Yeah, um, an organization I've been following for several years now um, is called Creative Reaction Lab. They're based in St. Louis, um, run by the amazing Antoinette Carroll. Um, they uh, not only are doing work um, to really help communities, largely communities of color, um, design for themselves um, and bring those skills that many of us were able to learn in design school and other places um, to be part of their world, um, but they are also doing amazing um, online and previously in-person learning um, for professional designers and other organizations um, to really think about how do we dismantle a, maybe a lot of what we had learned um, as professional designers um, that's based in white supremacy and a history mm -hmm. of racism um, and power dynamics um, that left different people at very different levels from each other. Um, I've tuned into some of their workshops um, and I'm finding it a really big source of inspiration, but also my continued learning um, about the, the impact and the mark I want to leave in the world. Excellent. We'll uh, make sure there's a link to it with the podcast. And uh, Ariel, thanks again. Great to talk with you. Thanks, Lou. Great to talk. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at RosenfeldReview.com. <laughs>